All right, it's good to welcome you to our Wednesday evening service. You can probably tell I still have a little bit of a scratchy throat. <clears> throat> um, it's kind of a strange thing. I haven't really had sore throat with it. It's just hoarseness. And um, maybe it'll get all right before Sunday. <laughs> but you just bear with me tonight. Um, if you... If you need to turn the sound up some, that'll that'll be all right too. Usher, would you come to see the offering? Don't really have any announcements here. Let's bow our heads for prayer and ask the Lord's blessings on the offering and pray for our service here tonight. <clears throat> pray for the young people in the meeting and also the children's church back here in the back, the King's Kids. Brother Brady, would you lead us in prayer? Amen. Stand again, take your songbook, and Bill, come lead us in another song. Okay, if you will, let's turn to number 302. 302, 302. Life has purpose now it never had before. There is meaning to each day and even more. 
for a joy and peace I can't explain is mine. Since I found new life in Christ my Lord divine, oh, it is wonderful to be a Christian. Oh, it is wonderful to be God's child. Oh, it is wonderful to have your sins forgiven. Oh, it is wonderful to be redeemed, justified, forever reconciled. I can go directly to the Lord in prayer. He has told me I may boldly enter there. And he listens as his promises I plead. I find mercy there and grace for every need. Oh, it is wonderful to be a Christian. Oh, it is wonderful to be God's child. Oh, it is wonderful to have your sins forgiven. Oh, it is wonderful to be redeemed, justified, forever reconciled. And the hope of heaven's glory thrills me so. Where I'll live with Christ forevermore, I know. That is why the things of earth I loosely hold. I've eternal riches better far than gold. Oh, it is wonderful to be a Christian. Oh, it is wonderful to be God's child. Oh, it is wonderful to have your sins forgiven. Oh, it is wonderful to be redeemed, justified, forever reconciled. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I think Brother Scott Rowe also was traveling, wasn't he? He's going to be gone this Sunday, so I'll add Scott Rowe to the traveling. <clears throat> Turn your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 11. Back when um, we first started the Bible reading schedule and are you reading through the New Testament? <clears throat> I had um, more than one person ask me if I would at some point deal with this subject we're going to be looking at tonight, Luke chapter 11. I'll go ahead and read the verses and then I'll go back because <clears throat> I've tried to kind of set the background here for what's going on in this situation. In Luke chapter 11, verse 24, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places. That means the unclean spirit walks through dry places, seeking rest. And finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And my house, that's talking about the body of the person that he had possessed. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. That's moral reformation. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And <clears throat> the last state of that man is worse than the first. And it came to pass as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. 
<clears throat> now here in the uh, in this chapter, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, the Lord had had cast a demon out of uh, a person here who had been dumb, and so the person was able to speak, and so they were kind of the crowd was kind of astonished at that, and they were talking about that, and. Because you always had these bunch of Pharisees, you know, that were lurking around looking for something to complain about. And <clears throat> and so uh, uh, they had, you know, they had charged the Lord there with being, you know, casting out devils by Beelzebub. And, um, and, and so there, there's a lot of that going on here before you come to this chapter here where the Lord gives this, this parable. And... Um, the Lord had had been he had been uh, um, chastising the Pharisees and scribes. The scribes were uh, that was a, a group of the uh, Pharisees that actually copied the scriptures. They didn't have printing presses, so their job was to copy the scriptures by hand, and that was what the, what the scribes did. <clears throat> and um, so they were always, you know, always confronting the Lord about something, and and so he had uh, the Lord had had confronted them, and he'd he'd called them hypocrites, and and talked about the fact that their <clears throat> their uh, outward morality was just a cover up for, you know, on the inside, it was, it was like a, a grave that's full of dead men's bones, and and things like that. And so what, what, um, what, and I think this is the reason for his giving this parable, was that uh, morality doesn't save you. It's not, and in fact, morality uh, can be a dangerous thing if you're using that for salvation. If you're thinking because uh, you're good enough, because, you, because of a set of morals, uh, standards that you live by, that that's uh, going to get you to heaven, then it becomes a dangerous thing. And um, you know, we uh, we all we we talk about morals. You know, Christian people, especially, ought to be moral people. We we believe in uh, morality, and um, you know, and I I believe that God's given a divine standard, and I think we ought to we ought to live by that as close as we can. And I believe that everybody, both saved and lost, ought to live and would be better off living moral lives. Uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, these, these are things about what you should not do. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. <clears throat> and, and this is a set of rules for people to live by. And anybody, whether you're saved or whether you're lost, uh, you'd be a whole lot better off by living by that standard. Uh, but the Ten Commandments were not was not given to save anybody. It was given as a way of life for for anybody, but especially for those that are saved. But um, morality, when it becomes a, a substitute for salvation, it's a dangerous thing. There's a very serious danger in moral reformation without regeneration. There, there's a serious danger in endeavoring to live your life according to Judeo-Christian values without salvation. Reformation without transformation uh, puts a person in a very dangerous position. 
<clears throat> now you, uh, you can understand why, because if a person, if, if they're moral, if they're living by a set of uh, moral standards, uh, they can depend on that, and they get the idea that you know they're self-righteous. They get the idea that they don't need to be saved. They don't need Christ. Uh, that uh, they they can save themselves through their own their own morality. And there probably has never been a group in history more adamant about morality than the Pharisees and and the scribes. <clears throat> they they had all undergone a moral. Reformation, and they were more than satisfied with their self-righteous exterior. They they rejected Christ and they hated Him because He attacked them precisely at the point of the of their external morality. And they were they were very confident in their uh, superficial lifestyle. Their hostility toward Jesus had been escalating, had been uh, growing uh, month by month because, because he continually exposed how, how superficial their morality really was. Back in, uh, back in Galilee months earlier, they had called him satanic. It's recorded there in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 24. And they continued to send out this propaganda all across Galilee and all across Judea where he is now in this chronology here in Luke. <clears throat> and the propaganda that he is satanic is basically the spin of the uh, Pharisaic media. This is what the population is led to believe. And every way they can, they have, they have published this mantra he does what he does by the power of Beelzebub, the, the prince of demons. And this, this of course, is, is supreme blasphemy. So you have the most moral people ever engaged in the worst possible blasphemy in which they call the work of God, the work of Satan. And they identify the servant of God, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, as the servant of the devil. It's impossible that there could be a greater blasphemy than, than what, uh, what they're exhibiting. The most moral people are the worst blasphemers ever. <clears throat> and it broke out in Judea on this occasion back in verse 14 and verse 11 when, when Jesus was casting out a demon. And they said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons, and he responded in verses 17 to 22 by, uh, by sort of, you know, trying to help them rethink that. He said, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself uh, cannot stand. It falls. And if Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? For, for you to say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, why would Satan cast out Satan? It's irrational. The Lord, so the Lord is trying to reason with them, but um, but they, you know, they're not reasonable people. And usually, um, people in false religion, they're not reasonable. 
they uh, they think you know that they're they're right in their in their religion in their belief. Uh, so so Jesus uh, takes them on. He says you need to rethink this. Your thinking is irrational. It's inconsistent. It's uh, it's fleshly. If you thought spiritually, if you thought consistently, and if you thought rationally, uh, you you know that what I'm doing, I'm doing by the power of God. And so in a merciful fashion, he tries to help them rethink this conclusion. Then he, uh, he culminates in verse 23 with, uh, with this statement. He who is not with me is against me. Uh, he who does not gather with me scatters. You're either with me or you're against me. And those who are against him are the most moral and the most religious, most uh, ceremonial uh, of all the people, that's the Pharisees and the scribes. They're the ones who, who pervade the uh, uh, quote, unquote, Judeo-Christian ethic, but they're against him. And this is the, the defining reality of his kingdom. There are only two kingdoms in the world, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Satan the kingdom of Christ, and you're either one or the other. There, there aren't any orphans. You're either of the kingdom of Satan, you're either a child of Satan, or you're a child of God. You're either against Christ or you're with him. You can be very religious, very moral. You can even have, uh, you know, have good things to say about, about Jesus and still be against him. And that then leads here to this illustration, this parable that he gives here in verse 24 through, uh, through ver- actually the parable through verse 26. And he said here, uh, talking here about, about this uh, man here, that this unclean spirit, that is a demon. Uh, in the New, New Testament, they'll be called devils, but it's the same the words are interchangeable, devils, demons. It's the same, talking about the same beings. It said that uh, when the unclean spirit goes out, he goes out uh, into dry places seeking rest, doesn't find any. And so he said, I'll return to my house and circle, draw a circle around that, my house. See, that's his house. That's where he's lived. That's that this unclean spirit had, had uh, taken over the body of this individual, this man. And he, he was living in this man, in this man's body. <clears throat> um, I, I personally do not believe that a, that a demon can possess the body of a Christian because it'd be living, you'd have a demon living in the same body as the Holy Spirit, but but a, but a Christian can be influenced. But but this man here is not a Christian. He's a man who, after this unclean spirit leaves him, he 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 begins he comes begins to have a moral transformation. He cleans his house up, straightens things up. <clears throat> that that means that he is. Um, you know, he's trying to, he's leaving off some things he'd been doing. He'd maybe been um, a drunkard, maybe um, you know, maybe um, an adulterer, 
uh, robber, thief, you know, all those things. So he, he uh, sets about to uh, sweep out the, th the bad things, put his house in order. <clears throat> and so this, uh, this unclean spirit, this demon, he, uh, he goes out, he can't find, he can't find another uh, place, another body, another man, another person that, that he can possess. So he says, I'll go back home. I'll go back to my house. Go back to where I was living, and um, and here uh, one of the one of the things that you see in this is that when you when you're depending on morality, you're depending on good deeds, you know uh, things like that. Uh, you open the door up not only for one demon, but for a whole bunch of them. So what happened was, one went out, he brought seven back. So there's eight of them now. And the Bible says here that the, the, the seven that came back were worse than the first one was. So this is, this is the parable. This is what, uh, what the Lord said it happened. Now I want us to look at it, kind of go by piece by piece here. <clears throat> um, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it doesn't say how, uh, but the, the, the assumption can be made that the man sort of cleaned up his act because of what it says in verse four, uh, 25. The house is swept and put in order. And here's the picture of someone who is immoral. Um, the very fact that that demon was living in, in him means that he was immoral. He was not a Christian. He was not saved. But then also, because once the unclean spirit left, uh, it says here the house is swept and put in order. Uh, here, here's a picture of someone who's living an immoral life. They're engaged in all kinds of uh, wicked conduct. And under, um, you know, what, whatever brought about this desire to, to do better, to live a better life, he kind of, you know, he, he came to that point where he wanted to clean up his life. He's, he's tired of the consequence of his iniquity, the consequence of his immorality, and he wants to change. Whatever, whatever uh, the sins were, whether it was uh, homosexuality or adultery or maybe all of it, he stops his anger, his hatred, his lying, his killing. He stops whatever it is. He stops his involvement with pornography, grabs himself by the bootstraps and takes the necessary steps he needs uh, to, uh, to clean up his life. Might be that uh, there was pressure from his family, maybe from his wife, uh, people who knew him. Maybe he's been embarrassed, he's been called, he's been trapped. Might be, you know, that he was involved in something and, and it became known. So he said, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to get my life right. Maybe he, maybe he's just tired of the uh, built-in consequences of sin. You know, the Bible says, what sir man soweth, that shall he also reap. There are consequences to sin. 
You don't get a, you don't get away with sin or consequences. And so, as long as he'd been living that wretched life, he'd been a haven for a demon, an unclean spirit. Now they're all unclean. All the all the demons are unclean, but not all are equally unclean, as we see here. Verse 20, 26 says, when, when this one came back, he brought with him seven who were even more evil than himself. They're all, they're all evil. They're all unclean, but, but not to the same degree. So in this case, case, the man cleans up his life, and that doesn't suit the demon very well initially. He desired to turn from his vile behavior, clean up his act, make a moral reformation, wants to become a better person, starts going to the synagogue, starts going to a uh, maybe a uh, temporary setting to church, gets religion, joins the Mormon church, joins Judaism, becomes a Catholic, cleans up his act. And as a result, there's a certain level of discomfort for the demon who goes and departs. It said in verse 24, this demon passes through dry or waterless places seeking rest. Now this is, this is a metaphor uh, because demons are spirit beings. They're not, they, don't, they don't have flesh and blood. They're spirit. They're, they're fallen angels. They're angelic beings. So because they're spirit, they don't need water. Uh, but this is simply a metaphor for the bareness of a demon floating around, you know, in the spirit world. He has, <clears throat> has no place, you know, to abide, has no abode. Because you see, uh, demons can only work through bodies, through humans. Through, they, they have no body, so they have to work through a body, just like Satan. Satan is a spirit being. Satan is a fallen angel. Uh, but Satan, Satan, he, he, the only way he can work is work through human beings, work through bodies. The, where, the Satan, I think the way that Satan works on us the most is through our mind. And, of course, the uh, demonic, uh, demonic influence is through our mind. You remember uh, Peter, Simon Peter, he you know, was rebuking the Lord because he was going to the cross, he was going to be crucified, and and Jesus said to him, "Get thee behind me, Satan." See what Peter was saying? That was a devil that was influencing his mind to say that. In the uh, parables that are given in Matthew thirteen, uh, it talks about the devil coming and snatching the word out of your mind. The devil is able to do that. So, um, so this demon, he, um, he couldn't find. He, he went in dry places seeking rest. He couldn't find uh, someone to some person that he could work in and through. And, and so he, he, he um, He's wandering aimlessly in the spiritual realm with, with no person through whom to work. And um, 
So uh, for, for a, a demon to be in that kind of existence is like being in a barren desert. It's like being in a waterless place. It's a restless, uh, distressing situation. And it says that demon can't find a place, another place. <clears throat> and in this case, if the demon can't find any other place, he said, I'll go back. I'll go back to my house. I'll go back to where I came. That's what's called demon possession. That's the demon's house. I'll return to my house, personal possession. And that, this is what happens uh, when, a, when a person trying to be good, trying to be moral, trying to be righteous, trying to hold to, you know, certain uh, moral values, trying to clean up their life by moral effort and and religious activity and and uh, things like that only puts you in a very dangerous position. This is where uh, Orthodox Jews and Mormons and Catholics and and uh, uh, moralists of any other kind, uh, religious uh, kind, they find themselves. Certainly the Jews were there. They, and especially these Pharisees and scribes, they were, they were there in that position. They were depending on their morality, depending on their, the fact that they kept, they had these moral rules that they, they lived by. Look back at verse 25 again. The demon said, I'll return to my house from which I came when it comes and finds it swept and put in order. <clears throat> in, uh, in the statement that Jesus made about this in Matthew 12, verse 44, he had, he had one other thing that's not here in Luke. He said he found it swept and unoccupied. Swept and unoccupied. And there, there lies the problem of morality. The problem in the moral person's heart is it's unoccupied. It's cleaned up, dressed up, but empty, no occupant. On the surface, this place has been cleaned up. And you might think, well, that's great. This is a clean life. You know, this person has cleaned up his life. And we read about it all the time today. People clean up their lives. They, they get religion. They change their pattern. <clears throat> they come out of prison. They clean up their lives. They turn from their life of crime or their life of immorality or whatever. But in doing that and still being empty, they're only in a more dangerous position than they've ever been because they now are living with the delusion that somehow this clean this cleanup, this... Uh, morality uh, puts them on a secure footing with God. And that is, that is a damning delusion. The truth of the matter is that empty house, that spiritual vacuum, that reformation, that religion, morality, is, is a kind of emptiness. And verse 26 says, then that spirit goes and takes along seven other spirits more, more evil than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes what? Worse than the first. 
You know, I remember year, years ago when I first went to uh, Maryville, Tennessee, to pastor. There was a family that I, I got coming to church. Uh, there was a um, husband, wife, manager's wife, and they had, they had a daughter and three boys, and they were all grown. All of them were married. <clears throat> the, uh, the daughter was married to a guy that he was, he was not saved, and I tried and tried and tried and tried to win him the Lord. I never was able to do it. Uh, <clears throat> but her, her, his, his dad... Uh, was an alcoholic, and I try. I talked to him. I tried to try to win him the Lord, but <clears throat> I was not able to. And and so uh, one day she told me, said, "You know, uh, my my father-in-law has got saved. He's he's joined the Church of Christ." And I thought, "Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness!" But he, you know, he. He started going to church there. He, you know, quit quit drinking. He got, you know, just just really got to, you know, involved. Got doing things in the church there and all, and really cleaned up his life and was going along really good. And I thought, you know, uh, I don't I don't believe that he got saved because of the teaching of the Church of Christ, but maybe somehow, maybe somehow he did accidentally get saved, and you know, so the Lord's you know the Lord's helping him. But about a year or two later, uh, I she I was talking with her one day. And she said, "You know, uh, back under," and she called his name. Said my my father-in-law, uh, you know, he had cleaned up his life. He'd quit drinking and all, and he had joined the Church of Christ and everything. And and uh, just really, really, we just thought, you know, really, he had really got religion and really was doing good. And uh, I said, yeah, that's what he did get was religion. But but uh, anyway, uh, she said, now he's gone back and said he's worse than he ever was. Just a total sot drunk now all the time. And I immediately thought about this situation right here the Lord's talking about in this parable. Seven, seven demons worse than the first one. See, um, this person here now, more in, infested with the agents of hell when, when morally reformed than, than when immoral. And, and listen, the Lord here in Matthew 23, verse 20, wound you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, listen to this now, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte and when he's made you make him twice the child of hell than yourselves why because the the uh, proselyte becomes more fanatical for self-righteous works than the teacher because he sees somehow this this move from immorality to morality he sees that as some kind of elevation of himself and he he sees the change and he relishes, he relishes the change and he gets temporarily sort of clean from the pollution and his iniquity and he, he becomes more an advocate for that than the old Pharisees who had deceived him. And um, 
you see, you see this a, a lot of times, don't you? And um, but but see, they're they're in a more dangerous situation. I've said this a lot of times. You probably would remember me saying this. It's harder to lead a backslider back to Christ than it is to lead a lost man to Christ. A backslider, a a person who's saved but they they're out of fellowship with the Lord. They're backslidden. It's hard harder to get them to come back to the Lord than it is a person who's immoral. They know they're they know they're a sinner. They know they're not right with God. Uh, you know these guys and, and ladies that work in the jails. Uh, you know yourself, it's much easier to lead one of them to the Lord than it is some church member that's not saved. You know. <clears throat> but see, uh, the message the message of the church can never be just morality. When a person gets saved, yes, they ought to clean up their life, but they don't clean up their life to get saved. And they must not ever be led to think they got to clean up their life in order to be saved. Jesus' message was never just morality. Morality makes people double sons of hell. Morality kicks the door wide open for more demons. Morality makes the last state worse than the first. Let me say this to you, and it may shock you that I say it. It is better to be immoral than to be moral without Christ. It's better to be immoral than moral without Christ. It's better to be irreligious than religious without Christ because morality and religion are a seduction. Morality and religion give the deception of all is well with God when it's not. Morality and religion is a soul-numbing Deception. As long as a person believes he's immoral, he can be saved, right? You can talk to a person. You can, uh, you can uh, lead him to the Lord. It's when a person believes that he's moral, that he doesn't need a Savior. As long as a person knows he's irreligious and wretched, he's in a position to be delivered. When a person comes to believe in his own righteousness, he's not redeemable. It was never the immoral people, the you know, the down and outers that blasphemed Jesus. As you go through Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, you're never going to find the immoral people blaspheming Jesus. It's always the moral people. It's never the harlots, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the riffraff, the criminal element. It was the religious people, the self-righteous people. Moral people, religious people are, they're self-righteous. They're, they're confident in their own holiness, in their own morality. They're, they're deceived into believing that they've been delivered from the powers of Satan because they live moral lives. And the truth of the matter is that they, be, they may be more infested with demons than a prostitute or a criminal. Moral people to have seem to have no 
vigilance and no no protection. There's no uh, protection. You know, when a person is saved, we have we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Uh, that that is that's kind of like a safety net. I I don't mean to sound sacrilegious, but having the Holy Spirit is is a buffer against immorality. So the demon came back. He found the whole place cleaned up and empty. That's the problem, cleaned up but empty. And if the living God is not present there, you've got a disaster. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, it says, For if, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, people who get some idea about Christ, some idea about the gospel, and they're attracted to it, and they want to clean their lives up, so they escape certain defilements. But if after that they are entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. And Peter just simply echoing here what Jesus said, if you just try to clean your life up, but it's empty in there, you're going to go right back, get entangled again, be overcome, and end up in a worse condition. And then Peter says this amazing statement. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. And he went on and said, they're like dogs returning to their vomit and hogs returning to the mire. There really is no more serious danger than the danger of morality when you're substituting that for salvation. <clears throat> it's like the leper with no sense of pain. Uh, a person with leprosy, they destroy themselves without knowing it. Leprosy is a nerve disease that, that uh, obliterates feeling. You, they can't feel. There's no, they have no sense of pain. And so I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, you ever seen any uh, film or anything, you know, or uh, I remember one time years ago, <clears throat> we had a, a uh, missionary who part of his work, part of his mission work on the mission field was working in leper, in a, in a leper colony. I don't know if there's more than one, but, but at least in a leper colony. He told about how those people would... Uh, they they rub their fingers off because they couldn't feel any pain. They rub rub their nose off, ears. You know, it, it wasn't anything to see them with no ears, no nose, uh, no lips. Um, you know, just nubs for hands that rub their fingers off and all because they they can't feel any pain. And see, that's that's uh, the danger of morality. When, uh, when you're trusting your morality for salvation, see that that's why you don't you don't feel guilt. You know when you when you sin, you don't you don't feel guilt. You you think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm. Uh, you ever see somebody was self righteous? You know, besides making making you want to throw up, it was you know you you felt sorry for them, didn't you? Self-righteous, you know, just self-righteous. Don't, 
don't don't realize, you know, that all the time they're they're worse than the person that you know they're trying to uh, uh, talk to about, you know, not living the moral life and all that. Uh, so, so the attempt uh, to clean up your life up without Christ coming to dwell there is to be exposed to an even greater danger. The last state of that man becomes worse than the first. In the end, being moral is more dangerous than being immoral. There's no, no benefit in reformation without regeneration. And this is exactly what the Jews did. That's why in verse 29, the next verse, he began to say, this, this generation is a wicked generation. See, they, they, they wouldn't see it that way at all. They thought they were a righteous generation, and that's why they hated Jesus. They were moral, but filthy. They were, they were void of the purifying presence of God. They were damned by morality, by religion, by reformation. Now, I want, to, I want you to notice something else here. That's why I went ahead and read on some a uh, few verses on down <clears throat> from verse 26. While he's saying all this, while he's saying this as an illustration, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice. She said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you, you nursed. And I'm putting it in in our language today. Now, now this, this is a uh, Middle East expression. This is the, the ultimate commendation that you give. Here, here's a woman who's with Christ in her mind. She said, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And blessed, blessed is the woman, blessed is the one that brought you into this world, that brought you to us. And she's, you know, this. she's positive. She's being positive. She respects him. She gives him the highest compliment she can give him in her vernacular. But he said, notice here, he said, uh, rather blessed are those who hear the word of God and, and do it. Uh, in verse 28, but he said, yea, yea, rather blessed are they that Hear the word of God and keep it. They hear the word of God and keep it. See, just because just because you're you're moral, um, and and because you know you you may commend Jesus, you may have you know some complimentary things said about the Lord, about Christianity, and all of that. It, the Lord is saying, you're not, you're not necessarily with me just because you commend me, just because you honor me. Being with me means you hear the word of God and do and what? You keep it, you do it. In John chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, this is his commandment. You want to know what it requires to be with, to be with Christ? It requires hearing the word of God and obeying it. Here it is. This is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's at the end of, of his fourth uh, of the gospel of John. 
said, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Being with Christ is not just being moral. Being with Christ is not just honoring him. Being with Christ, he says, is hearing the word of God and doing it. And the word, the word of God initially is to believe in the Son and be saved. A moral person is in the greatest danger. And that danger is not mitigated by having good feelings about, about Jesus. Uh, a person would still be empty and become a, and be a haven for demons. On the other hand, a saved person, one who hears the word concerning Christ, believes it in all of its fullness, embraces him as Lord and Savior, and sets out on a path of obedience, enabled by the indwelling presence of the Spirit of Christ. <clears throat> you, don't want a, you don't want a house to be empty. You don't want a house to be cleaned up and empty, do you? Because then you become a haven for demons. So this is what, what the Lord is saying here. Uh, basically what he's teaching here in this parable is that uh, morality is not enough. In fact, morality can be dangerous. Now he's not, you know, he's not uh, saying you're not supposed to be moral, you know. He's not saying morality is not a good thing. He's saying morality is not a good thing if you're depending on that for salvation. So that's what this is teaching. Would you stand, please? Your heads bowed. Now, Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless the lesson tonight, and I pray that you'd uh, help us not only that we we learn from these things, but also make the application in our own hearts and our own lives. <clears throat> if there's someone tonight that needs to come, uh, perhaps someone needs to come to the altar to pray. Um, now, whatever it is, whatever the need is, I pray you'll help them to come. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're not going to sing, but while uh, the musician plays, if God's spoken to your heart and you need to come, in fact, I'd ask you if you, if you want to come to the altar to pray. <clears throat> and we certainly need to pray for our church, our church family. Um, I invite you to come. If you'd rather just stay where you are, that's fine too, but... But pray for our church, pray for the services that are coming up. Pray for the Lord to keep us safe from the devil. <clears throat>